0: Well, today we're putting it all together, my friends. We're putting it all together. We're hitting it hard before we break for the weekend. Hello, I'm Jamie Dory, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you don't already subscribe, we recommend that you please do. Simply go to the iTunes App Store, search for NP Online, subscribe, or go to our hosting service, podbean.com. Download the app. It's a free app. And then you can subscribe there for you users who uh, use Android devices, since we're having great difficulty, for reasons I cannot explain, getting listed in the Google Play Store. But the iTunes App Store is not a problem. So if you prefer to use your native uh, Apple podcast aggregator app, uh, which I like very much, you can do it there. Uh, I believe you can also use Overcast. That's an aftermarket app. It's free. Uh, you can use that one as well. Uh, also, you can email us at nationalpreviewonline at com and follow our Facebook page. So what do I mean by putting it all together? Well, look, I've made no secret of the fact, uh, if you've been a follower of this show and a follower of my writings, that much of the unrest that we've seen within the last year, and even the last two or three years that we've seen in this country, all has to do with an absolute obsession on the part of the left to get rid of Donald Trump. Now, you have to understand this. Donald Trump was a duly elected president. We know this now. You can't hide it anymore. You can't buy into the horse manure that he was elected by the Russians. We now know this is complete bull. The entire, entire Russian investigation, the entire surveillance of Donald Trump, was predicated almost exclusively on the Steele dossier. And we now know the Steele dossier was a complete falsehood, that it was written by Christopher Steele. It was a paid hit piece. It was research, opposition research, paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and put out by the mainstream media as fact. And now we know that a man who was a source for a lot of this information, supposedly, that Steele wrote, was himself... A Russian spy who was investigated by the FBI as far back as the Obama administration in the earlier days uh, as a potential security threat. So this was all known about the only person who was clean in this whole thing and free of Russian influence is Trump. Hell, you got Dianne Feinstein with a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. And they inform her of this and he gets fired and she's like, oh, sorry. That's it. Nobody says anything else. It's incredible. But Donald Trump is supposed to take the hit. So they don't want to accept the fact that Donald Trump is the legitimate president. And so they're going to do everything they can. They've lied. You have Adam Schiff lying. We now know for sure he was lying when he said all this evidence because he had no evidence perjuring himself. Uh, We have these ridiculous investigations. And we now see that members of the Mueller team wiped their phones before they turned them in when the investigation was over and their special counsel was disbanded. And we also now know, through further release and certain things developing in the Durham investigation and elsewhere, that several of the FBI agents, at taxpayer expense, acquired liability insurance for themselves because they knew they were treading on very, very unsure ground, dangerous ground, deadly ground, you might say. So all of these things that we're about to discuss today are all designed to potentiate unrest, not only to advance short-term goals, but to hopefully create an overall climate that is disfavorable to the re-election of Donald Trump. I don't think it's going to succeed, but that's what's happening. So let's start. Let's start on our lengthy list. Let's get the Brianna Taylor case out of the way first. Brianna Taylor case is just the latest in a long line of cases of misinformation deliberately designed to whip people into a frenzy, hopefully resulting in more collateral damage and therefore it being self-perpetuating. We've heard this all before, the Trayvon Martin case, the case of Michael Brown, the case of Freddie Gray, the latest case was George Floyd, and people are going to Go crazy over that one, I predict, because I read the autopsy report. I read what the medical examiner said, and without disputing for one second that the officer uh, Chauvin, put his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, it now appears, according to the medical examiner, that that action had no bearing on his death. An absent causation, you can't prosecute someone for a homicide. If you can't prove what they did cause someone's death. It doesn't matter if you can prove that they did what you said that they did. If what you say that they did didn't result in somebody's death, then you've got no case. And that may be very well the case we have in Minneapolis. But we haven't reached that point yet. We haven't reached that point yet. But we have been here before with Trayvon Martin, a man who was touted as an innocent boy where the president opened his mouth, President Obama, said it could have been my son, just fanned the flames of unrest even further, absent cases. Everybody jumped on the case because they thought George Zimmerman was, Zimmerman was a, a white man, that he was Jewish. Then we find out that he's not, that he's Hispanic. He was a little bit of a guy. There was no way he was going to uh, win a fight with Trayvon Martin. Once he got in a desperate struggle for that gun, he was in deep trouble. He's very lucky he escaped with his life. That's why he was acquitted, because the facts bore it out. Michael Brown, we all know about Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot. He had the St. Louis Rams coming out, echoing that. And then we find out after we speak to all the witnesses, that Michael Brown never had his hands up, never said don't shoot, was never running away. In point of fact, Michael Brown was running towards the police officer and he actually got inside the radio car. He got his body partially inside the radio car, and attempted to rip that gun from that police officer. We know this because Michael Brown's blood and DNA are all over the inside of that radio car. How did that happen with Michael Brown running away with his hands up, don't shoot? What did the cop do? Pick him up, drag him over to the car, and or take his hands and run over to the car and wipe them all over the inside of the car? There's no testimony to that effect. But there is testimony to the witnesses when they were told they were under oath that Mr. Brown charged the police officer, charged the radio car, and did just what I said. And so now people are supposed to be shocked that the officer isn't indicted. To me, it's a tragedy and a travesty enough that that man can never work in law enforcement again. He picked a chosen career. He did nothing wrong. He defended his life, attempted to rein a felon, uh, arrest, uh, arrest a felon who conducted himself like a thug, just minutes before when he shook down a store owner for a box of cigars. And remember something, ladies and gentlemen, you can dismiss it all you want. You can call it a box of cigars. It was no big deal. There is a reason. There is a reason why laws are made the way they're made and read the way they read. Police don't make the laws. They enforce them. Your elected officials, your legislators, the people you vote for, make those laws. Here in the state of New York, where I broadcast from, Robbery is not a crime that requires the value of the item stolen or attempted to be stolen to be considered. That affects larcenies. When you go to rob somebody, all that matters is the number of people involved and the level of force that is used or threatened. You rob somebody with physical force alone in New York State, it's robbery third degree. Whether when you say, give me your money, you, and whether he hands over a $10 bill, a $100 bill, or $100,000, it's still robbery in the third degree. He has an accomplice, it's robbery in the second degree. Got a weapon, could be robbery in the first degree. But the amount of money stolen or the value of the item stolen does not matter. Michael Brown is a thug, was a thug. And I'm sure it's painful to his parents to have to admit, as I've said before, that their child became something that the world was better off without. But that doesn't change anything. Michael Brown was a thug, and he died like a thug. He didn't need all this outpouring of sympathy, it wasn't justified. And the the damage, the rioting, the burning of that community was not justified. Then we had Freddie Gray, where an overly zealous prosecutor in a town with black police chief, I understand, democratically controlled city, um, tried to prosecute the cops in the Freddie Gray case. The judge, one by one, began dismissing these things because the evidence just wasn't there. And after a complete investigation by the Justice Department, they didn't even find evidence to sustain civil rights charges. And so there was no charges there. And it we're all led to believe that this is because the system just protects the police officers white, black, makes no difference. Used to be the only protected white officers. Now they protect everybody. Everybody's blue, according to the left. It can never be that the facts don't bear them out. See, this is instrumental. This is part of the tactic. That's why I say we're blowing it wide open today. They get a case that they think has certain factors that make for good copy on our man shot by police. That sounds good. Of course, it changes when the unarmed man is running like a fullback towards the cop and trying to take the gun from him, but they don't tell you that part. They just tell you unarmed man shot by the police. This is the, is the is the formula. Let's get cases that on the surface have certain juicy facts that we can make work for us, and then we'll fill it all with misinformation, and we'll say it over and over again so many times that it will displace the truth and be accepted as the truth. And then when the case reaches its final conclusion, which is, of course, based on the evidence, which is the truth that goes on to the grand jury behind closed doors. And it doesn't go the way everyone now has been conditioned for it to go based on the misinformation that was put out there. You have civil unrest and you have damage, which you hope creates more confrontations with the police to provide more photo ops and becomes a self-sustaining phenomenon, collateral damage. That's what happened with Michael Brown. What happened with Freddie Gray, and that's what's happening with George Floyd. George Floyd, we haven't seen the resolution of the case yet, but like I said, the medical examiner says that the, that conduct on the part of the office officer did not cause George Floyd's death. When that case comes to uh, its conclusion, you may see additional writing over that. But again, all uh, a lot of misinformation. Now, in the George Floyd case, a little different because that video was part of the main evidence and a video is a very very compelling thing people see it so it incites people even though even a video needs to be viewed against the backdrop of other factual information things that Floyd was doing the full 8 minute video of George Floyd has not been played for you but it is available and you will see those cops did everything they could to accommodate that man and he's Blown out of his mind with drugs. He had more cocktails on board than Tom Cruise in the movie by the same name. Now, the latest cause celeb is the Breonna Taylor case. And that's got that, those pieces of information that fit in very well. What do we have in the Breonna Taylor case? Well, we have the fact that she was a, a woman. She herself, we don't have any evidence of being involved in drugs. She was um, an emergency room technician at a hospital, gainfully employed. And the police are at fault because they executed a no-knock warrant and just shot the place up. Well, that might be true if that's what happened, but that's not what happened. So let's get to some facts. Now, I have a great website here that did some fact-checking on the Brianna Taylor case. And what we find out is that here's what actually happened. Brianna Taylor is a 26-year-old emergency room technician, worked at two hospitals. She was inside her apartment when she was fatally shot by three Plain Co's officers attempting to serve a no-knock search warrant at 12.40 a.m. March 13th as part of a narcotics investigation. The court records show that the Louisville police obtained a warrant with a no-knock provision for Taylor's apartment approved by Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Mary Shaw though police and prosecutors have said that the officers knocked and announced themselves before breaking down the door. So even though they had permission for a no-knock warrant, they, ele- they elected on the evening they served it not to avail themselves of that, um, of that provision. So they went forward, proceeded as a no-knock warrant. When they did, they found themselves under fire. Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, has said that as soon as he heard pounding at the door, he fired one shot. He did not hear anyone announce that they were police, but we know that that's not true because independent witnesses in that complex confirmed and corroborated that the police identified themselves. That bullet struck Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly in the leg, requiring surgery, and Mattingly and two other officers returned fire. That's completely justified. Taylor, unfortunately, was struck multiple times and died in the hallway. Walker, the man who fired the shot that started all this, was not wounded. Now, everyone wants a piece of the police officers, but when you're executing a warrant against drug dealers and a bullet comes through the door at you, you are very, very justified in firing back. Now, the only criminal charges that emanated from this case is against the sergeant because they said he was reckless because some bullets went into a neighbor's apartment where people were home and there were nothing to do with it. But everybody is all upset now because no charges were brought against any of the officers for the death of Miss Taylor. Well, let me tell you something. There should be charges brought for the death of Miss Taylor, but not against the police officers because they were only doing what good tactics and sound judgment requires you to do. Fire back when you're being fired upon. The person who started this chain of events is Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker is the one who fired and he fired recklessly and blindly by firing through a closed door at an unidentified target that he didn't know. That's reckless in and of itself. And when you do that, you've committed a felony. And when you start a chain of events by committing a felony that results in someone else being killed, that's called felony murder. So the only person who should be charged with Breonna Taylor's death is Mr. Walker. Now, the FBI is investigating. I doubt they're going to find anything. Uh, But we find that a lot of these narratives with a lot of these cases are false. In the affidavit to acquire this warrant, there was no mistaken identity. There was no going to the wrong apartment, like some people are saying. The search warrant for Brianna Taylor's home included her address, her apartment number, photos of her apartment door, which the police later broke by using a battering ram. Her name, her date of birth, her social security number are all listed on the warrant, alongside the names of the narcotics investigation's main targets, Jamarcus Glover and Adrian Walker. Now, Adrian Walker and Kenneth Walker, the man who fired the shot, according to this newspaper article, are not related. In the affidavit for each for the search warrant, uh, the detective, Detective James, wrote that he'd seen Glover get a package from Brianna Taylor's home and that he used Taylor's address as his own on documents. OK, the search warrant for Taylor in a home explicitly identified her and her address. So. The other thing is that the police supposedly located their main suspect before going to Taylor's home. These are Twitter posts and Facebook posts that maintain that Glover, one of the main targets, was already in custody of the Louisville Louisville police at the time of this um, raid on the home. That's not true. So you see, this is what happens when misinformation is allowed to go out unchecked and a complicit media potentiates it and lets it go just to cause continued unrest And um, anarchy for the purposes of an end. And that end is continued anarchy in the hopes of affecting the election. So that's what we have with the Breonna Taylor case. But now we have additional information on some other little topics we've we've been following. You know, know we've been following the COVID-19 drama. Well, I'm going to tell you something, this COVID-19 drama, if people aren't pissed off already, you should be now. Because we've got the numbers now. The longer this thing goes, the more numbers come in, and we have really been hustled to the umpteenth degree. There have been reportedly 203,000 deaths in the United States. There's been 7 million reported cases in the United States. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the United States. 7 million cases. In the world, there's been 32.4 million cases. And there's been 985,000 deaths. Now, we already know that 98% of everyone who gets this thing won't even realize they have it because they're that asymptomatic. So you can take that 32 million that's worldwide, and you can take that 7 million that's United States-wide, and you could take those numbers and probably double them and still be within a very, very comfortable margin of error, you probably could treble them and still be within a comfortable margin of error, but the deaths aren't, aren't going up. We know who died. Many of these deaths are being exaggerated. I'm not saying that they didn't die. I'm saying they're exaggerated and that people had underlying conditions. In fact, we now know out of all these cases in the United States, two hundred and three thousand, fewer than ten thousand of them involved people who had nothing else wrong with them. They were perfectly healthy only 10,000. The rest of them, all were compromised states of health. Extreme elderly, compromised respiratory system, cancer survivors, diabetes, heart conditions, something. Now, anyone who is in health care, anyone who is in elder care knows that elderly people are easily pushed over the brink since they live in states of compromised health. Any contagion that affects them has the risk of killing them which makes the actions of the idiot in Albany even more shocking when he sent COVID-19 infected patients to nursing homes just so he could get credit for bed space there and get any federal aid associated with those deaths, rather than send them to the Javits Center where the U.S. Army, at the behest of the president, had built a hospital and sent a hospital ship into New York Harbor. Underutilized capacity. No reason to put those people at risk, the blood is on his hands, and the investigation should be undertaken. So look at this. If you want to take these 32 million as factual and 985,000 deaths worldwide, you've got a 3% mortality rate. In the United States, we have about 2.5%. And that's accepting those numbers that represent the total cases as accurate. And those numbers are not accurate. We've got a lot more than that. The state of New York admitted months ago that they had upwards of two and a half million cases in the state of New York alone. And that's only one state. This is a big country. We've got a lot more than seven million cases here. The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, forget the likelihood of you even getting it. If you got it, the survival rate is upwards of 98% or more. Some estimated as high as 99 and percent. In the case of children, 0 to 19, you know, the children that they won't won't let go back to school, the survival rate is 99.997%. There's a three one thousandth of a percent chance that a child may die of it. Your child's got a better chance of walking across the street and getting hit by a car than they do dying of COVID-19. This has all been a hustle, and it's all been designed to crash the United States economy, to prevent the the president of the United States from getting reelected. But I think people are starting to see that. How do we know this? Because we see when Joe Biden shows up for a campaign rally, nobody's there. When Trump shows up for a rally, tens of thousands of people are there. There's enthusiasm on that side. There's no enthusiasm on this side. So all of this is part of an ongoing plan to undermine our government and undermine our economy. And the last linchpin The last vestige, the last haven for the shiftless, for the contemptible, for those who have no standards at all, is voter fraud. And we're seeing that through mail-in voting. Ballots are being sent to everyone on a voter list, despite those lists being inaccurate. The ballots are labeled very clearly with a large R or a large D to let people know if they've been sent to a registered Democrat or a registered Republican. And there's a reason for that and it's for the purpose of identifying your ballot and trashing it. We found ballots in Pennsylvania, seven ballots, military ballots, cast for Trump, trashed. They were recovered. They were never counted. The other two ballots were already sealed, so the FBI can't look in them and see what they were. But there's voter fraud all over. The White House, on its official website, so it has been fact-checked, has a very interesting link that you can go to that talks about a sampling of voter fraud cases that were put together by the Heritage Foundation. So far, there have been 1,071 proven instances of voter fraud. Now, let me clarify that. That's not 1,071 fraudulent votes lest people think that 1,000 votes is nothing on the scheme of a presidential election in a population of 330 million people with probably 120 or more million registered voters. This is 1,071 cases resulting in 938 criminal convictions, 43 civil penalties, 74 diversion programs, eight judicial findings, and eight official findings. People went to jail over this. There was one man in the state of Texas who had in his possession 1,700 ballots, all supposedly for legitimate voters, which he filled out and voted for the candidate of his choice. Right now, the left is pushing the narrative that Trump is the one pushing a false narrative by saying we should be worried about voter fraud. Well, we should be. Because the left's plan is that they're going to try over the course of the two weeks that follow the election to convince you that Donald Trump's margin of victory that night is not a margin of victory. And don't be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in our history, if the news media on election eve does not start declaring states for the victor. They're going to say, well, apparently Trump has won the state of whatever, but we can't verify that until all of the absentee votes are counted uh, because there's been so many coming in this uh, year because of the COVID-19 virus. My sources indicate that on election eve, Trump will have an over 431 electoral college majority. And they're going seek to seek to undo that by mailing in the ballots after the election with phony postmarks in sufficient numbers. To overcome whatever margin of victory you got legitimately. Our hedge, our best defense get out and vote in person like you've never voted before. Get your friends to go out there, vote. Because the votes, in my opinion, that are cast physically on the day of the election have to carry more weight than any potentially fraudulent vote that comes through the mail. And I'm not talking about absentee ballots that are requested by a specific person at a specific address. I'm talking about these unrequested mail-in votes that were just sent out randomly to any Tom, Dick, or Harry. One person got a a ballot sent out, made out to the name of their cat. So now cats are voting. Can't have it. Lastly, I wanted to hit one thing. The dumbest journalist in America, Don Lemon, uh, who gets away with it only because he's gay and he's black, made the statement that we have to burn the system down and that we have to get rid of the Electoral College because a minority is picking all the judges and everything, and that's not fair. Mr. Lemon, you are as dumb as you look. You need to put those glasses back on to give the appearance of intellect. When you have them off, if you really look stupid, and you sound even stupider than you look when you make statements like this. The Electoral College was formulated precisely to prevent a minority from dictating to the majority. To prevent strong population centers like California, with a bunch of lunatics out there, from dictating to the rest of the country how we should live. Because, in case you missed it on the day they taught it in school, the United States is a democratic republic. And not only must weight be assigned to each individual citizen by way of the vote, weight must be assigned to each of the 50 state governments. They have a voice which is why every state, regardless of population, gets two senators, which is why we have two houses of Congress, one to be more immediately responsive to the people by way of a short term of two years, which is apportioned according to the population of the state, so that states with more people get more representation. And then the Senate, which represents essentially not merely the people of the state, but the entity itself Every state is an equal with every other state. That's why, regardless of population, each state gets two senators. And let's go with the biggest reason why we don't want to get rid of the electoral college. Ross Perot was the most successful third- party candidate this country ever saw. He didn't carry a single state, not a single state, so he didn't get a single electoral vote. If you didn't have an electoral college. There would be no disincentive against people who couldn't carry a state from running. And I shudder to think what would happen if we started getting elections where six, seven people were running for president, where the winner was simply the man who got the most votes and not really achieve a majority, but simply, say, a 25 percent plurality, with all the others getting less than 25 percent. And therefore, he would be the winner with 25 percent of the vote. No man or woman can govern when 75% of the population wanted someone else. You think you see unrest now? Wait till you see what you see with an election without an electoral college. You see, when you don't know about something, Mr. Lemon, you should just keep your mouth shut because it's better to remain silent and let people think that you're an idiot than open your mouth and remove all doubt. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.